0: Hey everyone, my name is Pastor Dina, and thank you so much for joining us for Northeast Christian Church Online Services. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms to keep up to date with all that's going on here in our church. Also, if you would like to rewatch today's sermon, you can look us up on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcast. Well, thank you, and enjoy the rest of service. Happy to be with you today. Pastor Paul is on his way back from Israel, so he'll be back here shortly. Uh, I'd like to take a moment before we begin today, and I want to pray for peace. The Scripture tells us to pray for those in power, that we may live a quiet and peaceful life, and with a world spiraling towards war, I want to take a moment to intercede not just for our nation, but for the world, and especially our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. I was reading about a fellow Baptist minister and brother in the city of Kiev, the capital. Uh, He's turned his church, a thousand-person auditorium, into a military hospital. And he has four daughters, the oldest of which is 16 years old, and he's chosen to stay when he could have evacuated. And he's done that so he can train his church on how to bandage wounds, do first aid, And make sure they take care of the needy who are going to be forgotten in this conflict. That's the kind of church I hope we would be, and that's the kind of church I hope we would support. Just three years ago, your missions giving, we were able to give $10,000 to a church planner in Eastern Europe right on the edge of this conflict. That was strategic. God placed that person in such a way that they could be an influence for refugees fleeing Ukraine right now. Your giving did that and prepared a church to be a part of that. And that's why I think it's so important that we don't stop giving. I pray that you would not forsake your giving because there are workers like him around the world that depend on it and who are making a difference in the middle of this insane event. So we're going to take some time and we're going to pray for our leaders today. And we're going to pray for the people in that country and we're going to pray for our brothers and sisters who are on the front lines. Let's take a moment and do that. Father, you tell us to lift up those who are in authority. So right now we lift up our president, our Congress, our Senate. We lift up NATO. We lift up even the enemy's leaders, God. And we ask that you would turn this around. We ask that you would speak to hearts. Your word says in Proverbs 15, The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. So I pray that you would turn this heart away from this evil act, God. I pray that you would bring peace on the earth. And we know, God, that until your kingdom comes, there will be no lasting peace but I pray that you would spare lives, that you would do what you can, you would miraculously intervene, and we pray above all the single-word prayer, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come, and I pray that you would set up your kingdom on this earth and there would be no end to your peace and your rule. God, we, we ask that you would support our brothers and sisters who are on the front lines there. I pray that you would give their hearts courage. I pray that you would supply their every need. I pray that even angels would minister to them in their hour of need, God, and you would show up in supernatural ways in that war and that you would preserve your people in the midst of that fire. I pray they'd be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Though they are in the very midst of the fire, God, I pray they would not be burned and that you would preserve their life. We ask for peace in this world, and we ask for the courage to meet the challenges of the day as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be continuing our teaching series on the gospel of Luke in just a moment, but there's a couple of announcements I wanted to highlight before we kick things off. Uh, the men's event happening today is an axe throwing event so if you want to grow hair on your chest drop your voice an octave and exclusively start wearing flannel I encourage you to attend that you can get more info at the welcome desk after service we'd be glad to see you there but in all seriousness please join us Uh, we'd love to have you there I didn't wear flannel today purposefully by the way that was just accidental I'm getting a little like sharpness in my mic guys I'm not sure if you're catching that Uh, Also, two things I wanted to make you aware of. In order to get an idea for food and drinks, we need you to register for the Married for Life event that's happening Saturday, March 12th. If you'd like to be a part of that, we just have to get an idea of what we need to get. So please, go to the bottom of our homepage on our website, hit the register button if you're interested, and we'd love to see you there. One last announcement. Uh, Second, uh, around Easter time, I'm going to be opening up a study called ALPHA. For those of you who may be interested in talking a little more deeply about the Bible, about God, about life's issues, I really have very limited time, but I want to maximize it to provide more in-depth discussion for you. And uh, I want you to keep an eye out for that. There's limited space. I, uh, until I can get more teachers trained, I don't have a lot of availability. So if you're interested in being a part of this, you can shoot me an email, uh, dylan at org, and I'd be glad to put you down for that. It's first come, first serve. And the days and times are TBD, probably directly after Easter. I'll be launching that because my life won't be insane with full-time school at that point, God willing. But... Let's get back to the Gospel of Luke. For those of you joining us, perhaps for the first time, thank you for being with us here today. I'm Dylan, I'm one of the pastors, and I believe that our teachings are going to be as relevant for you as they are for a person who's been in the Christian faith their entire life. Uh, For those of you who may be new to this thing, a Gospel is basically a first-century biography that kind of doubles as a pronouncement of victory in battle. Uh, Just like if you listen to music, you have genres of music. I like big band jazz, that's my thing. Uh, You also have genres of literature. And in the ancient world, this genre, a gospel, is a blend of biography and a proclamation document. Uh, We go through books of the Bible so that you feel equipped to navigate it by yourself. Uh, While understanding the Bible is a corporate affair, we need to come together to do that. We believe it's also an individual one. So we want to help you read the Bible the way its writers intended it to be read and give you a compass so that you can navigate this book on your own. That's why we teach the way that we do. That's why we go through books of the Bible the way that we do. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, you can turn there if you'd like with me, read along in your own Bible. Uh, Or you could just listen to me if you'd like. And that's Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. By the way, I don't want to assume every one of you knows what exactly I'm talking about here. So when I say a book of the Bible, each book of the Bible has a title, and then it has a chapter, and then it has a dot-dot, okay? And after the dot-dot are the verses. That's where you find what's happening in the chapter. I know I came into the church with absolutely no Christian background, and I'm like, what in the world are those numbers, okay? That's what that is, for those of you who are brand new to this. Okay, last week we talked about the calling or the commissioning of all the leaders of the early church called apostles, okay? And today we're going to examine how God reaches the man who becomes the head apostle and the head of his church. And we'll get a picture, I think, of how God works with us as individuals. So let's read that together and we'll pray before we jump in. That's Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1 through verse 11. And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, by the way, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, and followed him. This is God's Word. Lord, today, above everything, I pray that we in this community would have repentant hearts that love you. God, I pray that you would bring a spirit of grace and repentance this morning, not the kind of repentance that brings shame and condemnation, but the kind of repentance that brings joy and lasting peace Lord, I pray that you would do what only your Holy Spirit could do. I can't do. No words can do. But I pray that your word would accomplish what you send it to, and it wouldn't return to you empty, but that it would produce fruit, and Jesus would be exalted in our midst today. And we ask it, Lord, in his name. Amen. Today's passage is relevant to all of us, but it's particularly relevant to those of us, those of us who may be holding this God thing at arm's length. Peter often gets this bad rap of being really bold and outspoken. But I think if you read Luke chapter 4 and 5, it shows us a different picture of, G- of, of Peter. Peter is merely a genuine human being. He's a guy who's trying to figure Jesus out, who doesn't naturally jump into this whole Messiah thing with both feet. He's dipping his toes in. And I resonate with Peter because at his heart of hearts, I think we get a picture of a man who's just just trying to make it, but he longs for something more. Earlier in Luke chapter 4, we see Peter in a room with Jesus as the Lord heals his family member. And you would think that that's the moment when Peter would be all in, the moment where Peter would say to Jesus, you got me, I'm your follower now. Because our modern mindset tells us if we could only see God do the impossible, then we would believe in him. But that's not true. Jesus said, in fact, to the religious leaders of his day later in the book of Luke, in chapter 16, he says to them, if you do not believe the written word, you won't even believe if somebody's raised from the dead. And Peter is an example of that. His mother-in-law is healed, and he's still hanging around Jesus, but he's not sold yet. And perhaps you can relate. You're interested, perhaps, in what the preacher has to say, at least I hope so, but you have your reservations and your doubts about certain things. Peter has a reputation of being bold, but you see, I think he's cautious. He doesn't have the radical divine conversion story of a guy named the Apostle Paul. He's, he's kind of the person who wades into the water before he walks on it. And I love Peter, because if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for me and there's hope for you. Some of you are undergoing what pop culture is now calling deconstruction. You're doubting, you're skeptical, you're calling things into question, and I hope you know that Jesus is not surprised or offended by you being a little standoffish and wanting to understand. God doesn't appoint the most intelligent biblical scribe, the most studious man, or the most pious one as the leader of his church and the head apostle. He appoints a man like Peter, who is just a blue-collar guy that just can't quite get into the water all the way without pause. If you get one thing out of today, I hope it's this. If you can't walk on the water yet, at least sit by it. Last week, we talked about how God redeemed His entire church. And today, I just want to talk about how God redeemed one person. Because sometimes I can get too lost if the picture gets too broad. Sometimes I just need someone to show me if God can work with me as an individual. Does He care about me? Is He listening to me? Does He love me? I have a lot wrong with me, even still. And today, I want us to see that our faults are no hindrance to our relationship with God. Rather, they are the prerequisite to begin one. Let's listen, begin by listening to verses 1 to 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets getting into the one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. A lot of you know my story, but not all of you do. When I read Peter's, what Peter's doing here, I, I, I chuckle a little bit. He's, he's helping out the preacher. He's, he's trying to just do a good thing. He may not be the type to be in synagogue, but he'll let Jesus use his boat. And many of you have that heart. You, you want to help. It may not look holy and pious, but you want to give what you do to God, and you're hoping He finds some meaning in it. When I was 18, I would go to counseling at this church in, in New York. And by the way, we have counseling here if you're interested in that. And the pastor would sit with me week after week, and we'd talk about my problems. And he never charged me anything to spend time with him. But I wanted to help out in some way. So I'd mow the church lawn or I'd clean up the church property. I just kind of wanted to hang out with the pastor and be around him. But I didn't really like going to church. The whole time, that whole six months, I didn't go to church once. (laughs) And that was the first six months of what I call being something like a believer. I wasn't quite sure about everything yet, but I really liked the pastor. He seemed like a good guy and he cared about me. I considered myself what I called a liberal Christian, as if that term means anything. I didn't go to church. I still liked to cuss. I liked to drink, and I thought born again types were kind of weird, strange, and scary. I didn't want anything to do with them. But I knew there was something different about the minister, so I figured I'd spend time around him and do what I could to help. I was going to state college at the time in New York. And I wanted to test out his theology a little bit. So in between classes, I would read these theologically progressive books in the college library. I had a five-hour gap between classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I would spend that time going through these theological dictionaries to understand words better. And I'd read anything I could get my hands on. And yet, with all of that, I still just wanted to be around the pastor. What he lacked in sophistication, in my estimation, he made up for in truth and love. And I think Peter is like that. He's not so sure yet. Maybe he's a little bitter about his mother-in-law being healed. We don't really know. That's that's a bad joke. Don't (laughs) laugh at that. (laughs) But, But in all seriousness, I think Peter wanted to be around Jesus. He just wasn't sold on him yet. And it's funny that Peter was raised his whole life in the Jewish faith, but he's not jumping into this thing very quickly. Maybe he's a little standoffish because he's tired of religion. Maybe he's holding off because he wants to test things, and perhaps that's like you. And if so, I hope it gives you encouragement to know that the person Jesus picked later to lead his church wasn't some caped crusader. You're in good company." Peter is not some Bible hero, he's painted for us in very human terms, and nothing much is extraordinary about him besides, perhaps, his keen self-awareness and his willingness to let Jesus use his boat. And that cost him something, by the way. Fishermen worked all night, which the passage here says, and after being up all night and having nothing to show for it, Peter sticks around so Jesus has something to stand on while he preaches. I think we get a component here of what it takes to be a little closer to God. It may not mean using your boat, if you can afford one in today's day and age, and it may not mean mowing the church lawn. It may just mean offering what you have to God wholeheartedly with your whole self. And that costs Peter a little bit of time, a little bit of sleep, and it inconvenienced him. Perhaps the reason you're having trouble hearing from God, or you don't feel God, or you're frustrated with God, is because you're too focused on yourself to be inconvenienced out of your schedule. You have blinders on, and you're caught in the routine loop. Maybe you need to make some time to sit, and listen in prayer and spend time listening to God's word with other people, as Peter does right here. And you can hear the irritation in Peter's voice. He goes, "Master, we've been fishing all night." I'm sure in the back of Peter's head, he's thinking, "What do you know about fishing? I've been doing this since about the same time we were born. He'd rather be in bed, but he's staying near, he's staying close, he's staying proximate to Jesus because he senses Jesus is providing something he's looking for. Church culture may have failed you, Christians may have failed you, and you may be weary, worn out, and disappointed with your religious experiences, but Jesus won't fail you if you'll stay open to him and stay near But a cynical disposition, however, is the enemy of answers and is the enemy of peace. You don't have to have full buy-in. You just have to show up. Can I give you permission for a second? You can be unsure about the things that you've been taught. You can have questions about things. And you can wade into the pool. You just can't walk away from the water altogether and expect to find a drink in the desert. The man who executed Jesus walked away from Jesus cynically. When Jesus tells him, those who are of the truth, listen to my voice, he sarcastically responds, what is truth, and walks away. You see, we have a choice to use questions to find answers or to use questions as shields so we never have to answer them ourselves. Perhaps you may uncover what you're looking for if you just sit by the water a little longer. Peter has made no confession of faith up to this point. He's not pretending to be a disciple. His mother-in-law is healed, but he's still just a fisherman who's trying to make a living. He is willing, however, to sit around Jesus. If you don't have the faith to walk on the water yet, at least sit by it. Why does this matter for you? Very simply, I think it says that Jesus doesn't cast people out who don't immediately jump in the pool with a cannonball. You may not be sold on faith. You may have a lifetime of hurt that comes from religion, but God wants followers like that just as much as he loves followers who have a radical encounter with him. I've had both. I felt like the light came on very dimly in my life, like a dimmer light being turned up, until one day it was too bright for me to ignore. Maybe you had one or the other. Peter's journey shows us that we just need to stay proximate, We need to stay close so that we can hear from God and He can begin to speak. Next, I want us to listen to verses 4 to 8. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon is Peter's name, by the way, before he becomes Peter. He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter—it's interesting, pause here for a second, that this is the first time in the Scriptures that Simon is called by both names. And I don't think that's an accident. I think Luke is drawing our attention to this statement that's about to take place. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "'Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord.'" I find it interesting that the place of Peter's greatest realization happens not at home, but at work. Oftentimes, I find that God's provision matters most to us where we feel that the need is the greatest. I imagine when Peter's relative is healed, he's thinking, great, but she's still going to starve if I don't catch some fish. Financial concerns, provisional concerns, tend to weigh on us the heaviest, don't they? Sickness is bad, but the book of Proverbs says this, a person can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? There's something humiliating, soul-crushing about not being able to provide, of feeling the weight of your own inadequacy and knowing there's nothing you can do about it, and you come up empty. And in those moments, it's easy to settle into a place of anger, doubt, despair, and even blaming God. If God cared about me, then why am I in this situation? Maybe that's Peter's attitude. We don't know what his sin is here that he's confessing, but I imagine he could be in that place. Yeah, thanks for healing someone, Jesus, but it doesn't really matter if I can't feed her. And that resentment toward God can build into a disillusionment, disbelief, and even rage. And you can hear the irritation in his voice, Master, we've been at this all night and have absolutely nothing. I'm sure many of you feel this lack of provision at times. I mean, forget record inflation or troubled economic times or war on the horizon. Life is just hard, and it always has been. But I would hate for our anxieties to descend into a distrust of God because it is so easy to slip into that. And you can see Peter bordering on this, feeling that within himself. But he says, all right, if you say it, I'll do it. And that's all God really needs from us. Jesus said all that he asks is a mustard seed like faith. It's very small, it's barely present, but it grows into something big. That's all that God needs. A simple yes. Will you pray one more time? Yes, Lord. Will you walk with me one more mile? Yes, Lord. Will you go a little further? Will you suspend your judgment? Will you trust that maybe you just can't see the whole picture right now? Yes, Lord. Saying yes to obeying God, even through anxiety and resignation, is better than no obedience at all. When you barely have enough faith to take one more step, you take that step and know that your strength is found in the one your faith rests in, not how powerful your faith is in itself. I've never felt like a particularly good or faith filled or effective or strong minister. Oftentimes, I find myself questioning, like, really, God, like, I'm the guy. You wanted, you wanted me to do this. One such time, I was in my sophomore year of college, and I was feeling particularly downcast because I was having a tough time managing finances. Uh, I was 21 years old, and, and I spent money like it. And though I felt Jesus was asking me to step into ministry— and I was in college for it, I was constantly thinking to myself, I'm not qualified to be doing this. I can barely get my own life straight. I'm not fit to serve in this way, Lord. And I went to bed one night on Christmas break feeling despondent, useless, and I was ready to enroll in law school. I thought, hey, if I'm good at talking, I may as well redeem that somehow. I think it's another reason I resonate with Peter he goes back to what he knows. When Jesus is crucified, he goes back to fishing and he throws in the towel. And as sure as I believe I'm standing in front of you now, more confident that I am, that I am existing in this moment, I heard a voice in the morning that Christmas break that felt like a shout in my head. And it woke me from a deep sleep and it said, Luke 5, Luke 5, and I bolted out of bed, and I'm sure I looked very comedic to God. I'm sure he was laughing at me a little bit, but if you don't think God has a sense of humor, you just haven't been walking with him long enough. (laughs) And I opened my Bible, and I read Peter's statement in verse 8, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And in that moment, I felt as if God's Spirit was saying to me, Dylan, I'm not looking for talent. I'm not even looking for good moral people. I'm just looking for people like this. That's what God wants. The kind of people who walk in repentance, even when it's not joyful at first. The kind of people who see themselves as they are, not as they'd like to be, and they acknowledge it who are not deflecting, rationalizing, or justifying their sin, but they're calling it what it is. I read a lot of uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She's a neuroscientist based out of Dallas, and last week she was talking about the danger of positive affirmation, constantly saying good things about yourself. I am calm, I am cool, I am collected, I am beautiful, I am blessed. Okay, that kind of thing. It's, it, it's actually psychologically damaging to constantly affirm yourself. It creates cognitive dissonance between who we think we should be and who we actually are, which makes our guilt and shame even worse. It exasperates the issue rather than mends it. Sometimes we have to have a sober self-inventory, and it's actually healing to acknowledge our guilt so that we can begin the process of healing it. But that won't take place unless we call it what it is. It is sin. It is brokenness. You and I need to acknowledge before God and before some brothers and sisters in Christ what we have done. It's healing to move through our guilt and not deny it. Our modern secular culture is constantly going to tell you, deny guilt and shame at all costs. It's toxic for you. And they're only half right. The kind of guilt and shame that says, I'm evil, I'm hopeless, God is out to get me, forget me, and destroy me, biblically that's called condemnation and that's not God's heart, that's, God, not, that's not God's mission, and that is not God's plan for you. God sent his son into the world to save sinners, not destroy them. But God did not send his son into the world just to make good people a little bit better. He came to make dead people live. And that's why we must acknowledge our sinful, our helpless estate, and our need for God. Because the kind of guilt that's healthy says, this is what I've done, this is who I am, I don't want this, please change me, help me, Father. That's called repentance. One of my favorite prayers, and one of Pastor Paul's as well, comes from the apocryphal book called The Prayer of Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked king in Israel's history, and God says in the book of Chronicles, he's never seen a king so wicked or so repentant as Manasseh. He's both. By the way, life is not black or white. None of us are simply good or simply evil. Life is very gray. Listen to Manasseh's prayer. Manasseh's prayer. Now, therefore, I bow the knee of my heart, asking for your grace. I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned, and I acknowledge my iniquity. Therefore, I humbly ask you, forgive me, O Lord, forgive me, and do not destroy me along with my sins. That's the heart of Peter, as well as it is the heart of Manasseh. He's not a bold man. He's not a demanding man. He's a sincere, broken, and repentant one. He's the kind of person who says, God, if you knew me, you wouldn't want to be around me. And that's the kind of person to whom God says, you're exactly the kind of person I want to be near. The healthy have no need of a physician, but the sick do. That's what Jesus says later to the hypocritical religious leaders in this very chapter in verse 31. You may not have great faith to walk on water, but you can at least sit by it, and Jesus will meet you there in that despondent place, in that low place, and he will raise you up. What does that mean for you? It means that Jesus is not into cancel culture. He's not looking to bring up that tweet, that thought, that sin you committed as a young adult. He's not holding your sin over your head to destroy you and push you out of his gr- his graces. He's looking to bring in people who have no right to be a part of his kingdom because he's given them the right anyway. John says in his gospel in chapter 1, to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he has given the right to become a child of God. Jesus shows us that by his response to a broken, helpless, hopeless Peter, he's willing to redeem sinners just like you and I. He could have said, yeah, I know who you are, Peter. And rubbed his nose in his sin, but thank God, Jesus is nothing like the activists, politicians, and academic pundits who can't wait to find dirt on people because when you bring your dirt to God, he says, "Welcome to the club. When the world finds out about your dirt, they say you're not good enough." for ours. But God knows here in this company of believers today that there are liars and lustful people and prideful people and greedy people and the list goes on and on and on. But all it takes is that mustard seed faith that says to Jesus, do not destroy me along with my sins, O Lord, because that is what God is looking for and that is called faith and repentance. He is not looking for good moral people. He's looking for people awakening from the dead who are coming to him in repentance. Jesus responds to Peter in verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. Jesus uses something right in front of Peter to describe what he's going to be doing. By the way, though Peter and his friends abandoned fishing here, this is not an invitation for God to call you to quit your job and become a full-time minister, okay? The Apostle Paul, for example, was a tent maker, and he kept making tents as he preached to the day he died. One of the most famous modern missionaries, and one of my favorites if you ever wanted to read about one, is Hudson Taylor. He had no theological training whatsoever. He was a doctor, but he went to China to serve people's medical needs, and he would stand in the town square and preach in the evenings. And millions came to faith in Christ because of his ministry. The message I hope you get here is not God is looking for more ministers and pastors. The message is God is looking to give your life eternal significance. You're not just a foreman now. You're building people's lives. You're, you're not just a parent now, you're raising up disciples. You're not just an accountant now. You're bringing your accounts before God. You're not just a nurse now. You're participating in the healing of humanity. Your workplace and family is a conduit, not a competitory element to the kingdom of God. It's the exception, not the rule, when people leave their career to focus solely on teaching the gospel and you shouldn't do that lightly, because the scriptures say not many of us should become teachers, because teachers will be judged by God more sternly. No, the message for Peter here is much broader than that. It's saying, Peter, you've been focusing on surviving, but I'm here so that you would turn your eyes to something more significant than success. And when you catch this, when you see Peter leaves all the fish, the boats, and the nets, and says, forget it all, you see what he's getting at. He could have kept all of that and been comfortable for a while. But then it would come time for the next catch, and the one after that, and the one after that. I think the deepest need Jesus meets for Peter here is not the abundance of fish. It's not satisfying the hunger of his family. It's the hunger for a life that matters, a life that doesn't feel like merely working to survive. He invites him into a broader mission and invites us into a broader mission, the one we spoke of last week, the redemption of all creation. That is every single one of your calls in Jesus Christ. And it differs not one bit from mine. I'm going to invite the worship team back at this time. As the worship team comes, I want you to pay attention. I want to share one last thing with you. You may not have the faith to walk on water right now, but you can at least sit by it. And you'll discover by those waters the fountain of real life. This passage is important to me for more reason than one. It helped me discover the joy of seeing other people come to Jesus. One time I was raising funds for a drug rehab outside a grocery store one day in 2014, and I was a lowly intern I was not a pastor. I had zero aspirations to be a pastor. If you asked me if I wanted to be a pastor, I would have laughed in your face. And beside me, there were these two cart collectors at a grocery store named Mike and Nolan. And I was able to talk to Mike about this passage, actually, and later in Luke 5 about Levi. And Mike prayed with me right there on the spot and gave his life to Jesus. But Nolan didn't want anything to do with it. And I respected that. Listen, we're not here to force anyone to believe. Not even God wants to do that, by the way. Don't be weird about sharing your faith, you know. Baleigh! You know, like yelling. We don't, we're not doing that here, okay? And two weeks later, this rehab sent me soliciting door-to-door to raise awareness about the program. Uh, in a town in Long Island, like 20 minutes from this grocery store. And no word of a lie. The first street I was dropped on, the first door I knocked on, Nolan answered the door. And with him were his friends this time. He had a friend named Giovanni and a a different friend named Mike. And I hugged him, and we caught up for a little bit, and I felt prompted by God's Spirit, so I shared with him, Nolan, it's no accident that I'm here And I think God would want you to know that there's no other name by which you can have a relationship with him except through Jesus. And I'd love to lead you and your friends in a prayer if you're willing to have that today. And all three young men prayed that prayer with me on the spot. And it was a beautiful moment. And I left that stoop both weeping and rejoicing all at the same time. Though I'm sure the rehab was pretty upset I didn't collect any money. That's kind of like this moment with Peter. Not only does he find the joy of knowing God for himself, not only does he discover the joy of repentance, but he finds the joy of fishing for men or fishing for people. His friends, James and John, see the invitation and say, hey, we're in too." And this is where a little biblical Greek comes in handy. The invitation Jesus gives to Peter from now on, you will be fishing for men is in the singular. Okay, he's not talking to the whole group. He's talking to one guy. He's talking to Peter alone and gives his invitation to Peter alone. But that's the thing about our relationship with God. Whether we want to or we intend to, it spreads out to those we're in contact with. We can't help it because it changes the way we talk, the way we see the world, the way we deal with problems, the way we deal with people, what we treasure in life, and people can't help but pay attention to that. And Peter's friends see the invitation and say, hey, if he gets that, we want that too. You see, God didn't want to just call Nolan that day. God wanted to call him and his friends. And I think that's what happens with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. That's what God wants to do through your experience as well. You may not be the type to walk on water in faith, and that's okay. Neither was Peter yet. Peter had humble beginnings, but if you stay around the Lord long enough, you'll find he begins to turn even your everyday, ordinary things into things that advance the kingdom. Something as simple as fishing becomes a means through which people enter the eternal kingdom. You see, God may turn the ordinary everyday into something meaningful and powerful in your life. You'll see him not only do tremendous things for you, but through you, if you only have the faith to stick it out and repent and let your light shine. And I'm going to make time for you to do that today. We're going to worship together in just a moment, and as we do, I'm going to invite the elders, deacons, any ordained ministers to come forward. You may have need of confession today. We think of confession as this Catholic church practice where you come to the priest, but confession is a Christian practice, and I think sometimes in Christian churches we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Confession isn't just good for the soul. Confession is the way that you reach repentance. You name what you need to name, and I think this morning there's some things in here that you have to give voice to. You have to name the thing you haven't wanted to name, and you have to let go of it if you're going to find the kingdom in the way that you want to. That requires confession. You may be in a different place. You may be despondent. You may be angry with God. You may be disappointed and disillusioned by the lack of provision. Whatever it takes, you need to come and sit by the water. And as the elders, deacons, and others come, I want you to make time to do that today. Listen, you don't have to air out all your dirty laundry. When I'm saying confession here this morning, I don't want you to go through your sins since you were 19 years old and list all of them to present. That's not confession. God's not in the business of shaming people, by the way. I don't want you to come here and like, feel like you have to say every single bad thing you've ever done. And you may want to do that. But listen, you need to confess sin. You need to be like Peter and Manasseh who say, Don't destroy me, Lord, along with my sin. Just take my sin out of the picture. That's what God wants to do. And that is the starting point. And that can lead you from a place of apathy, sitting by the water, doubting the one preaching from the water. And Peter becomes the man who not only sits by the water, but steps out of the boat and walks on it. And he only did that one step at a time, one confession at a time. He becomes the man he's supposed to be. And you can become the person you're supposed to be. You don't become some faith-filled person overnight. Life is a long journey. And God gets you there one step at a time. But like the old Irish proverb says, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. And for Peter, it started with confession. And that may be where you need to start today. So I'm going to invite you to rise. And we're going to worship together. And at any moment that you feel you want to come and pray, you can approach somebody. You could come pray here on your own. You don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. It's up to you. But this is a time of worship, of confession, of talking to God so that we can unburden ourselves and let the Spirit fill us one more time. Let's do that. confesses his sin, he finds that instead of an angry God, he meets a God who says, do not fear, and instead of punishment, gives him purpose. What I hope that you would get from today is that eventually, you may not feel it now, but you can find that purpose that God has for you. If you'll just begin with confession, you'll discover that your Father has been waiting with open arms to receive you. So, Father, I pray for your family, your body, my brothers and sisters. And I ask that each and every one of them, whether they confess where they are or confessed here, I pray that they would continue their journey with you, Lord, that they would sit near you, listen to you, confess to you, and discover the purpose that you're willing to give. God, I pray that each and every one of them would be commissioned to make a difference in this world and that you would show them the way that they are to do that. I pray that you would bless them, that your grace would be over them, that you would keep them, that you would turn your face towards them and give them peace. And I pray all these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we continue in worship, feel free to go, feel free to stay. Thank you so much for joining us for service today. To rewatch today's sermon, you can search for it on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. And again, to keep up with all that's going on here at the church, you can go on lowlyg.org or ne-cc.org. Thank you again and have a great day.